As you're being seated, if you'll open your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 and Romans chapter 1 today. A couple of things just by way of information. Uh, Rick Nelson is being baptized in the next service at 11 a.m. Rick's 32 years old and uh, has been coming to the church for several months, and the Lord's really gotten a hold of his heart, and so we rejoice that he's going to be baptized today. Amen? Amen. And uh, also, uh, you'll see some information there in your worship guide, if you did not get that, uh, that Ashley Edwards will be with us next week, and she is our person for the Director of Kids Ministry position, so Ashley is... 27 years old, you say, well, that's young, but I'm only 28, so it's not that young, and uh, she has her master's degree in children's ministry from Dallas Baptist, and so we're excited to have her uh, come and be a part of that very critical ministry within our congregation. As I talk to children, one of my natural kids' conversation starters is, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so far in the Banks house, I have two doctors one teacher, and one policeman. So I'm thinking if this doctor thing works out that I might be 80 before they ever move out of the house. But that's okay, that's okay, because at least they can take care of me whenever I'm 80 as well. But if you were growing up in Jerusalem, being a shepherd was really not a dream job. It paid poorly. You had to work a lot of nights It could be incredibly boring, and you could be eaten by wolves. But other than that, it was a a great job to have. And so put yourself in the shepherd's sandals when the angels appeared to them to announce the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. The Bible says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And I want you to zero in on that last sentence there. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be great joy for all the people. Have you ever noticed how much of life is about the pursuit of good news? Your body actually has this chemical. Uh, it's called dopamine. It's the I like this chemical. And it releases in your body whenever you come across something that you like. So when you eat a piece of pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving, you get some dopamine, okay? When the cowboys beat the saints, hallelujah, you get some dopamine. Whenever uh, you, some of you, whenever the Christmas Hallmark movies begin, you get this shot of dopamine. And when people like your post, that happens. Uh, Dopamine is one of the reasons why people get addicted to stuff, because the brain has these good experiences, and you want more of it, and so you begin going after it over and over again. And so some will find it by buying stuff. Some will find it through going on trips. Others will use your phone to surf for it. Uh, According to an article I read from Harvard University this week, 78% of people are dependent on their phones. Uh, Without it, we would go into dopamine withdrawal. So 
what is the dopamine-inducing good news of Christmas that the angels were proclaiming to the shepherds? Well, the good news is not that you get time off from work, that you get to go to a lot of parties and wear ugly sweaters. Nor is the good news the North Polean motif of giving, receiving, and spending time with family. Hear me on this. The good news of Christmas is Jesus Christ. Christmas is a distinctly Christian holiday. It's a time when billions of Christians all around the world come together to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to begin our Christmas series. I'm entitling it, The First Noel. I came up with that name myself, The First Noel. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and, and we're going to be looking at, in this series, how Christmas is good news for everyone. So here's how it lays out. On December 9th, we're going to look at the poor shepherds. We'll look at their story and how they were working the night shift on Christmas Day. And uh, they found the good news. And then on December 16th, we're going to look at the wise men. The wise men were Gentile. They were far away from God. They were despised by many, yet God went out of His way to make sure that they heard the good news. On December 23rd, we're going to look at Mary and Joseph, who were exhausted and lonely and tired and misunderstood, going through the struggle of life. And yet God used them to be a part of the good news. Now, it may surprise you at the Christmas scripture that I've picked out for us this year. But I'm using Romans 1.16 as our Christmas scripture this year. It's not one that we ordinarily go to for Christmas. Yet the reason why I'm using this is because in this verse of scripture, I think it explains, the Bible explains what the good news of Christmas is all about. So look with me in your Bibles there, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by Faith. I love verse 16. To me, as a preacher, verse 16 is like a trip to Hutchins Barbecue. There is so much meat in verse 16 that I could speak on it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And there is truth here that I want you to get because I believe the good news of Christmas is found in this verse. And it begins with this idea where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, here's what this means. At this point in Paul's life, he was kind of like the Tom Brady of missionaries. He had done it all. He had seen it all. He had accomplished everything that a young minister could ever dream of doing for the Lord. He had traveled throughout the known world, and his major mission was to start new churches. And so Paul could look back and he could see church after church after church that had been had begun through uh, the ministry of the Lord that was working through him, and he, he probably had a sense of satisfaction. 
And one of the things that he had learned in his travels is that no matter where he went, whether it was in Jerusalem, whether it was in Ephesus or Corinth or Athens, or if it would be Rome, no matter where he went, Paul had learned this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for all people. He had learned that the gospel is cross-cultural and that you don't have to be quiet about Christ, that the gospel can stand up to scrutiny, that it can answer questions, and that you do not have to worry that you will look foolish whenever you proclaim the gospel. You see, Christianity is a global faith that crosses cultures, it reaches into those darkest villages within the world because it answers the ultimate questions of life. It is the true good news. It doesn't just try to help you to behave better. The gospel transforms you from the inside out. And because of that, it speaks to the deepest levels of the human soul. Paul had learned that you don't have to put on a show. You don't have to be something that you are not. That there is power in the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he writes these words, I, I am not ashamed. I will not go back. I will not hide from it. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation. So what is the gospel? Well, the gospel actually means good news. See what we did there? You had the angels proclaiming to the shepherds good news for all people. And then when we get here to Romans chapter 1, you have that we are not to be ashamed of the gospel. And the gospel literally means the good news. The gospel is the heart of Christianity. If you miss the gospel, you miss God. The gospel is all about Jesus. It's about who He is and what He did. Jesus is the heart of the gospel And it transforms the heart of all who believe. And so the gospel begins with who Jesus is. What is it that we believe about Jesus? Well, we could talk on that for some time. But quickly, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And at Christmas time, we talk about how the Son of God took on flesh and He tabernacled or dwelt among us. But Jesus was different than we are. He is the eternal Son of God, taking on flesh and living life without sin. All of us sin, but Jesus lived the sinless life. So all of us can be like Jesus and follow after Him, but none of us can truly be Jesus because He is something that we are not. And then the second part of the gospel is, what did Jesus do? So the first part of the gospel is, who is Jesus? second part of the gospel is, what did He do? Well, he lived the sinless life. He took on flesh, lived the sinless life, died on the cross for your sins and mine, overcame death through his resurrection, ascended and is coming back. And Jesus proclaims that he is to be the object of your faith. None of us can do what Jesus did. And the Bible doesn't call us to simply place our faith in a set of teachings. If you look at most major world religions, that's the precise call. That you will place your faith in the teachings and that you will do follow these teachings. Jesus says the beginning point of Christianity is me. And he calls us to place our faith 
in Him. And it's only when we place our faith in Him that we have the power and the ability to follow His teachings. The good news of Jesus, the gospel, the Scriptures say, is God's power for salvation. God's power for salvation. Now that brings up another interesting word, saved. What does it mean to be saved? Now I've I've found that that's becoming a little bit more of an elusive word to people. Seems as though whenever I was growing up in church, we talked a lot about, uh, have you ever been saved? And everybody kind of knew that terminology, but now a lot of times people don't completely understand what, it, what do Christians mean when we talk about salvation? Well, you may be surprised to know that salvation has a past, present, and future connotation. In the past, I look back to the day upon which I was saved. Now, I pray that you've had that moment in your life. It may be that you haven't yet had that moment in your life. But there was a moment, I was six years old, whenever I realized my need for Jesus Christ. And I knelt beside my bed, and I asked God to forgive me for my sins, and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. I look back on that day as the day that I was saved. Do you have a moment in your life that you can look back on and say, that was my moment. That was my moment of salvation. When I turned from my rebellion against God and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That initial step of faith is salvation. It is the beginning point of your walk with Christ. But then God doesn't stop there. God continues to mature you and to grow you. Paul talked about us working out our salvation. What does that mean? That means that the salvation that God began in me as a six-year-old boy, God is continuing to grow in me. He is maturing me. He is strengthening me. He is teaching me more about the Scriptures and helping me be a more godly person. And God is doing the same thing in your life as well as we continue to mature and grow in our walk with Christ. And then in the future, we look forward to the day of salvation. It is what we call the blessed hope of Christianity. That day when Christ comes again. It answers the question of theodicy. Why is there so much suffering in this world? Why is there so much injustice? Shouldn't God do something about it? The Christian story says, yes, indeed, God should and will do something about it. And we look forward to that day of salvation when God doesn't just free us from the eternal realities of our sin, but he frees us from the presence of sin within our world as well. Now, I have to ask you this question. Have, have you ever been saved? That's a key question for everyone to wrestle with. Well, we continue in our passage, and we ask this next question. How can I experience the power of salvation? Because the Scripture says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes that that word translated power, there's actually the word from which we get dynamite. There's an explosive aspect to it, the power of God for salvation. And I want you to notice that the power for salvation is available 
to everyone. Whenever you read the book of Romans, I, I believe that this particular passage is the thesis of Romans. And sometimes whenever you read Romans, it can be a little bit confusing, and you're like, okay, well, well, what's Paul trying to say here? And if you just go back to Romans 1, 16 and 17, it refocuses you and helps you get back on track as to what he's trying to say. And he makes this case in Romans, particularly in the first three chapters, that everybody has sinned. Now, many world religions begin with the thought that you can be God. If you're good enough and you do the right things, and eventually you can be good God. Christianity, though, begins with the idea that we all fall short of God, that all of us sin, that all of us fall short of His holy standard, and we are in need of God to do something for us that we could never do on our own, and it's something that we do not deserve as well. And so here's the caffeinated truth. Just as all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Jesus took on all sin so that he might bring you to God. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 reminds us that God is not willing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance that all would experience salvation. Now, what this means is that God's power for salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ, is available to you. And it's available to your neighbor, and it's available to that nephew or niece that seems a long ways from the Lord. That because of Jesus, the power of God unto salvation is available to you. But you don't earn it through good behavior. You can't buy it. You can't pay for it. Nor do you just inherit it because your daddy was a deacon. You have to believe. The Bible says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. The good news of Christmas is that anyone can be saved. And the call of Christmas is to believe in the one who saves And so the Bible teaches us to believe in Jesus Christ. Now notice this. The Bible doesn't leave you guessing about how you can know God. The Bible doesn't say, hey, try really hard and hope it all works out. The Bible doesn't say, just find something to believe in and be sincere about that. The Bible's very specific. It says that Jesus Christ, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. It teaches us specifically how we can know God. If there is a God, wouldn't it be great if that God would tell you exactly how you could know Him and doesn't leave you guessing? There is a God, and He has told you exactly how you can know Him. I also want you to understand that there is a difference between believing about and believing in. Believing about is kind of cold. It's information-driven. We can believe facts about God. We can say, well, I believe that God exists. We could say, "I, I believe that Jesus is God's Son. 
That's believing about God. And that is an initial step in your walk with God. Do you believe that God exists? Do you believe that Jesus is God's Son? Do you believe that what God says in His Word is true? But there's a step to salvation that involves faith. It involves not just believing about Jesus, but believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus is personal. Believing in Jesus is soulful. Believing in is trusting in Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. I am placing my faith in Jesus Christ. I am not trying to be God. I am repenting of my efforts to be God, repenting of my sin, and placing my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I'm putting the totality of me in Him. I'm trusting in Christ. You've got to take that step of faith. Now let me illustrate. Stacy and I dated for two and a half years. And during that time, we got to know each other really well. And because of what I learned about her, she absolutely convinced me that she would be a great wife. I had no doubts. And I convinced her that against her better judgment, it was God's will uh, for her to marry me. And so we got married. And our leap of love was not a blind leap. There was no 90-day fiancé for me. We knew each other. We had gotten to know facts about each other. We had learned each other's heart. But we still had to take that leap of love. We still had to have that moment when we said, I do. And when we said, I do, we didn't know what the future would hold but we were believing in one another. We were moving beyond information to faith. Well, that's just a human illustration. But it illustrates the fact that God calls us to believe things about Jesus, but then He calls us to that next step of believing in Jesus. You see, God wants you to do more than just celebrate the birth, and believe facts about Christ. God wants Christmas to be more than just a time with family, some time off from work, and some laughs. God wants Christmas to be a true celebration of Jesus. And Jesus calls you to believe in Him. To believe in Him as Savior and Lord. This is what we call being saved. You say, Lash, I, if I had to be honest, I don't know that I've ever done that. I don't know that I've ever been saved. Well, this is what I want to invite you to do right now. I want to invite you to make this your moment. Your moment when you trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? Our heads are bowed because I do want to ask this question again. Is this your moment when you place your faith in Christ? Over the years, I've talked to so many people. 
And what a joyful moment it is when you just surrender and you trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. Have you ever been saved? If this is your moment, I just invite you right where you are to call out to God. You say, Lash, I don't know what to say. Say something like this, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I ask forgiveness and right now I am placing my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm trusting in Him as my Savior and my Lord and I'm asking you to change my heart and to make this my moment of salvation. Just call out to God. Seize this moment. There's never been that time in your life when you've been saved. Make this your moment. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But if this is your moment, I I would like to know. And so what I'm going to ask you is, if this is your moment of salvation, would you just look up at me and let me make eye contact with you? Just look up at me and let me make eye contact with you. Lash, this was my moment today. This was my moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. And we do pray that during this season that we call Christmas, that you will grow us and stretch us and mature us. We pray that we will live out our salvation. And that rather than feeling tired and stressed out, that we will feel joyful and energized. Because it's the, it's the happiest time of year when we celebrate the gospel. Good news for all people. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.